It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. What is Guantanamo Bay? What is its history? And what does it mean for the Biden administration? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. So you've probably heard that a major objective for President Biden is pulling the United States out of Afghanistan before the 20th anniversary of 9-11 on September 11th, 2021. And part of President Biden's exiting Afghanistan also includes a United States military prison located within Guantanamo Bay Naval Base in Cuba, the Guantanamo Bay Detention Camp. Guantanamo Bay, or Gitmo, was created in 2002 by the Bush administration as part of the War on Terror. And 19 years later, 39 detainees remain at Gitmo. So to understand its history and where Guantanamo Bay is headed, I'm bringing back Jennifer Griffin. Jennifer is the national security correspondent at the Pentagon for Fox News, and she's an expert on all things Guantanamo Bay. So Jennifer, thanks so much for coming back. Thank you, Abby. All right. I'm very excited to have you on because you are one of the most knowledgeable people in general that I've ever met. You uh, were so fun on the first getting school that we did together. So can we just start with a quick history of Guantanamo Bay? Well, it's so interesting, Abby. Um, A lot of Americans may not realize that Guantanamo Bay was taken by U.S. forces and their Cuban allies going all the way back to 1898. In fact, if you go back further, Christopher Columbus landed in the bay on his second voyage to the Americas. But the U.S. really saw this as a strategic base and a way to expand the U.S. Navy as a forward operating base, going all the way back to uh, the turn of the century. And in 1903, it leased 45 square miles of the land and water at Guantanamo Bay from Cuba. Uh, That treaty got revised in 1935. But the U.S. has basically been paying the equivalent of $4,000 or so uh, to the Cuban government since 1934 and added this requirement that any termination of the lease requires consent from both the U.S. and Cuban governments. That obviously hit a bit of a snag uh, after the Cuban Revolution and and Castro, Fidel Castro at one point in 1964, cut off water and electricity to the base. Since then, uh, the naval station at Guantanamo Guantanamo Bay has been self-sufficient. And after 9-11 in 2002, that is when the detention facility was built there for these uh, for those who were captured on the battlefield in the fight against Al Qaeda and the Taliban. So what was our initial need for it? So the initial need going back to, you know, 1898 was as the U.S. Navy in its infancy was growing, they needed to have forward operating bases and they were trying to counter the Spanish in in, you know, the Caribbean at that time. Uh, It it then grew from there as just a strategic outpost that the U.S. Navy never left. It was a base uh, for ships, uh, for refueling. They used it to fix ships over time. But then after 9-11, because we had this land, it was not in the continental U.S., 
this was the place that they set up the detention facility that became so controversial. Mm. Um, and at its height, there were 675 detainees at the prison, uh, many of them captured in Afghanistan or uh, overseas. Some of them, some of the leading uh, you know, organizers of the 9-11 attacks, including Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, is still there. Uh, right now, what is interesting is that the Biden administration is taking a very different approach than both the Trump administration and the Obama administration. You'll remember that when President Obama took, o- took office in his first year, he vowed uh, to keep a campaign promise and to close uh, the detention facility at Guantanamo Bay. And that hit a snag because in Congress in 2011, Congress passed a law banning any transfer of detainees to the continental U.S. There was a fear that uh, that that these prisoners it would uh, somehow incite terrorism attacks. Uh, that has been an, a running debate, really going back to 2011. In under the Trump administration, only one detainee was released. Um, uh, and what happened recently is that the Biden administration. has quietly uh, gone back to trying to whittle down the population at Gitmo. There are 39 prisoners left and recently released a Moroccan man who had been uh, had been approved for release back in 2016. Uh, that Moroccan man had been uh, was a former Taliban member, had been caught in Tora Bora and was returned to Morocco the, within the last week. What's the you, you say that um, I remember when Obama tried to do this and then now Biden, we're hearing, like you mentioned, more. Um, he's trying to do this more also. But what's that process of releasing some of the t- detainees, especially when they've been in there for so long? Well, the process is really interesting, and it is very. Um, it, it, there's a parole board, if you will, that includes members of the intelligence community, the NSC, the Defense Department, the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has to sign off on any release. A lot of these prisoners were reviewed. The 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 le- least dangerous um, uh, ones, uh, not the 9/11 attackers, obviously, not the Khalid Sheikh Mohammeds. They were reviewed back under the Obama administration. There was a very thorough review. And you'll remember there was a special envoy who was trying to negotiate with the host, the home countries of these prisoners, these detainees to take them back. But there were very strict rules about how they had to remain under surveillance. They had to, you know, it was like being on on parole. And some of the countries like Yemen, you couldn't really release them to because there was a civil war going on. You couldn't trust any government to keep Mm. an eye on them. So some of the prisoners had been cleared for release, but have been held since, you know, really for for more than a decade uh, longer than than uh, than the U.S. government had wanted. Uh, But what we're getting down to a tricky period where you're getting down to the really hardened uh, uh, Al Qaeda, you know, the organizers of 9-11. What do you do with a Khalid Sheikh Mohammed? And uh, it's become a political issue. Republicans do not want them to be tried in federal courts on U.S. soil. They're concerned that because of some of the accusations of torture in the early uh, days after 9-11, that, that perhaps those uh, that, that if they're given legal rights within the U.S., that, that they could actually get off. Democrats would argue that we have tried many, many terrorism cases and we have a supermax facility where you could keep uh, these prisoners and that some of the cases are pretty, um, pretty clear cut, but other cases are not. Uh, what's interesting about Guantanamo Bay is the cost. And that's really 
the way in which Democrats have approached uh, this issue and, and trying to build uh, bipartisan support. It costs about $13 million per prisoner per year to keep a prisoner at Guantanamo Bay compared to much, much less, you know, I think $100,000 a year to keep someone in in supermax. So there's the cost issue, uh, but there's also just the symbolic issue of 20 years after 9-11, we've got the anniversary coming up. This was a symbol that that really uh, became a rallying cry for terrorist groups overseas to recruit. Um, and so the Biden administration is quietly trying to move towards closing uh, the detention facility. They're do- going about it slightly differently than the Obama administration. Uh, but it is notable that in the White House budget for 2022, President Biden has inserted a line that would return presidential authority to transfer detainees to the mainland, to the U.S. Um, and if that is passed as part of his budget, then that really gives the White House and the president more power to to try and try these uh, prisoners, which, by the way, most of these uh, prisoners have not uh, faced, you know, uh, uh, legal proceedings. And so, you know, the idea is to try and wrap this up 20 years after 9-11. Mm. I have two questions about what you just said. So first of all, the cost of Gitmo, $13 million sounds like a lot, but uh, why is it so much more at Gitmo than it is on U.S. soil and what you say, like a, a max facility? Well, it's scale. You already have a prison with a prison population. And this, you know, one of these prisoners, one of these 39 prisoners who are left would just be one of many. You already have a facility built. Guantanamo Bay, obviously, being in the southeast corner of Cuba, it's an island. It's always more expensive to do things on an island, to ship uh, things in. But you also have a large number of U.S. Navy personnel who are tied down having to guard this facility. Um, and, And that's costly. Anytime you have the U.S. military doing anything using troops is going to be more expensive than if you than in the civilian world. Interesting. And then you you say that President Biden is trying to do this more quietly. How do you do this quietly? What what's different than what Obama did? Well, I think what's different is the the fact that you and I are talking about it, but it's really not in the press very much. And and they're not making a big deal about it. They're not making big announcements. Uh, The release of this Moroccan man who is age 56, Abdul Latif Nasser, uh, you know, he... Uh, he is. He had gone before the parole board that, that included members of the Defense Department and intelligence community. He had expressed remorse for having been at the training facility uh, in in Afghanistan back before 9/11. And now the Mor- the Moroccan government will investigate him. He's now in Morocco in Casablanca, and the, you know the Moroccan authorities are are pretty tough on on terrorism, mm-hmm. and they are a trusted ally. And and so now they will see whether they think he's fit to be released to his family or whether uh, he requires further prosecution in Morocco. Right. All right. We've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Jennifer, you had uh, kind of touched on this a bit earlier, but Gitmo has been the source of controversy because of those allegations of abuse and torture. Can you just expand on that a little bit for me? Well, it's it's complicated because President Bush 
did bar any sort of torture, uh, if you will, uh, or enhanced interrogation, as they like to call it after 9-11, at the facility. Uh, So the enhanced interrogation uh, that took place took place at CIA black sites overseas before the prisoners were transferred to Guantanamo Bay. So that is a distinction that you need to make. Mm -hmm. Uh, But some of those prisoners, you know, those prisoners have the right, because of the Supreme Court ruling in 2006, they have the right to uh, to uh, habeas corpus, and they have the right, there was a famous case called Boumedian versus Bush, in which they had the right to challenge their detention in federal U.S. federal courts. So these prisoners have American lawyers who are representing them, even Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And so you have um, a situation where, depending on the case, uh, some of the the more hardened Al Qaeda types who were involved in the 9/11 planning uh, did face waterboarding at uh, CIA sites, black sites, before being transferred to Gitmo, and there is some concern that that could stymie any sort of prosecution in the U.S. federal court system. Mm-hmm. That being said, that it is possible. You you know we do also have Fort Leavenworth, which is a high high uh, security prison uh, out in Kansas. And and there that's where we keep the most hardened U.S. military criminals who have been court-martialed and, and tried. Uh, there are, you know, perhaps you could keep, the, you could transfer someone like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed to a, a U.S. military brig where he could be watched on U.S. soil. But again, that faced a lot of domestic blowback from, from Congress and from congressional districts that did not want these 9-11 hijackers, alleged hij- or not, uh, planners uh, in their communities. Uh, in terms of fear that they would get out or cause any terrorist attacks, I think that's unfounded. Um, Supermax really is the is probably the appropriate place. You have Ramsey Youssef, remember, who was the first World Trade Center bomber who's at Supermax. Um, and and so we do have the ability to, but, but it does get complicated in our federal court system. So would you say that that's the biggest benefit that people say is um, of keeping these prisoners at Guantanamo Bay, just the fact that we don't want them escaping from Supermax and some, somehow and, and getting onto our soil? Well, it would be, I, I really have to say it's impossible for them to escape from Supermax. It would all, it would be impossible for them to escape. And also, let's not forget how old these guys are now. There is one mm. 73-year-old Pakistani who's been cleared for five years uh, by the parole board. And he, uh, you know, he, there, there's a Saudi who has schizophrenia, who is, you know, from all all reports that I've received, you know, is almost elderly at this point and and mentally ill and certainly not a good guy. He was supposed to be uh, he was being considered as the 20th hijacker. And but the question is whether to transfer him to uh, Saudi Arabia. Now, the Saudis know how to deal with with terrorists um, and they have monitored a number of of Uh, In fact, President Trump, when he released one prisoner from Guantanamo Bay, it was a Saudi prisoner, a detainee. So, again, you got to look at the age of these guys and whether they really still pose a threat. But they certainly some of them do not. uh, The Defense Department would not recommend that they be released. But the question is whether it's appropriate to keep Guantanamo Bay, the detention facility there open. How do you decide who is released. So under the Trump administration, one person, 
Um, how, how was that one person decided if they've been in there? So it really goes back to the Bush administration. They recognized that they that some of the people who were grabbed after 9-11 were just low level drivers mm. and fighters for the Taliban who really didn't pose a threat. Some of them were, you know, 20 years old and, and really uh, were not the hardened, you know, masterminds of 9-11. And they wanted to they wanted them to be returned to. And so they did. They returned. They were trying. The Bush administration started trying to. And, and probably there were more released, more prisoners released by the Bush administration than any other. Uh, President Obama, again, was trying to get uh, those who were uh, least dangerous out of the facility so that, again, we could get down to the really tough cases. But but again, there was a very strict process that involved the intelligence community in looking at whether these individuals still posed a threat. And then there were mechanisms put in place, pretty strict mechanisms for the most part, in the host countries that received them uh, to monitor them. I remember one case, and this was, you know, I'd, I've often wanted to go and and follow up on on what happened to I think it was two Uyghurs, Chinese Uyghurs who were released, who had been, you know, caught in Afghanistan shortly after 9-11. And they were released under the Obama administration to, I think, Malta. And and, you know, they've probably gone on to pretty normal lives. Um, in fact, they're lucky they're not in China because they could be in concentration camps there. But um, but, you know, there 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 hasn't been there was a lot of talk about whether there would be recidivism, particularly back in the 2009, 2010 time frame when some of these uh, releases were taking place. But we really haven't seen uh a great deal of recidivism. That being said, I do think it's important to point out that that there were some of the key Taliban leaders who are currently uh, who the U.S. was negotiating with under the Trump administration, uh, who were released to um, to Qatar. They are now part of the leadership of the mm-hmm. Taliban, who are now threatening the Afghan government. So that that release, which took place. If I remember correctly, that took place possibly as part of the Bo Bergdahl deal, which was under Obama. But then President Trump had a special envoy who was trying to negotiate with the Taliban. And those were the leaders that they were forced to negotiate with. So it is it is very complicated. Yeah. It's been a long 20 years. Uh, but certainly uh, the the motivation under the Biden administration to close Gitmo is renewed, particularly with the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, it will be very interesting to see how they handle uh, the handle the release or the trying of these last uh, three dozen or so prisoners. Right. So uh, when these prisoners are released, what happens? Are there any particular things in place to make sure that we keep an eye on them? Or is it just kind of like, there you go, you're out? No, no, no. They're very strict um, uh, protocols that are agreed to with the host government. So, Mm -hmm. for instance, now, that being said, there have been situations very recently, even as of this week, uh, some Yemeni prisoners from Gitmo were released to the United Arab Emirates. And I saw news reports that the United Arab Emirates had uh, deported six of them to Yemen and that 
now Yemen is in the throes of a civil war. There's no real, you know, government that you can rely on right now in place. And so keeping track of those six is going to be very difficult. And so that's a case of where uh, an allied country who agreed to take and monitor these uh, detainees uh, didn't, didn't there, there's some concern that that release may have been um, ill-conceived. Mm, got it. I don't mean to digress here, but in the beginning, we were kind of talking about how we chose Guantanamo Bay, but, but why this location in particular? I know that uh, we use it as a strategic outpost that, you know, the U.S. Navy just really never left, but what about Guantanamo Bay? Bay was appealing for something like this? You mean after 9-11? Yeah. Well, I think the fact that it wasn't on, uh, I, technically that base is U.S. soil because it's a U.S. Navy base. Right. Uh, but because it, it was an outpost that was close to the continental U.S. without being in the continental U.S., there was real concern in the beginning about how to try these, um, this you know, remember, there were just there was great concern that there was going to be another 9-11. And so they rounded up on the battlefield anyone who they suspected of having supported Al Qaeda and bin Laden. And and, you know, as time has gone by, uh, 11 of the prisoners have been charged with war crimes. You, again, you have people like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who, you know, really is the, the biggest name who's being held there. And and so it was chosen because it was not on the continental U.S. Um, and it was a U.S. military facility where you could, you know, you know keep an eye on these guys. So uh, but then you got into complicated legal situations where you, you, you know, they had to pass the Military Commission Act, the military commissions that were supposed to try the 9-11 uh, planners uh, kept facing, uh, get, got stymied at every turn legally. It, it just became a mess, frankly. The Supreme Court got involved. And so you really are in a bit of a stalemate with the 39 uh, detainees who are left there. Right. Um, for the average American, obviously, we all love our country and we want to be safe and um, we want justice where justice is due. But why does this topic and why does Guantanamo Bay matter? Well, I think it matters in that it was a symbol of some of the overreach by our national security apparatus after 9-11. If you put yourself back into the mindset of, pe of the people who were in the intelligence community, in the military, in the Defense Department at that time, there was great fear, great concern that what we didn't know, that there could be more planning for more attacks, who knew what, their interrogations needed to take place. Uh, but now, 20 years later, I think we can look more reasonably at these prisoners, most of whom are over 70 years old. Uh, they are many of them are mentally ill and pretty broken after so many years of detention and um, and some of the treatment they faced after uh, being captured. It is hard to see how many of them pose a, a, a grave threat. Ali Sheikh Mohammed. And, and a dozen others of the detainees there, of the high profile detainees, certainly fall into a category that they do not, they should not be released. And nobody in the Defense Department under the Biden administration, Obama administration, or Bush or Trump administration would want to release them. But the others, some of them probably can be released to host countries that are willing to monitor them. And the reason you want to, that, that, 
advocates for closing Guantanamo Bay want that chapter closed is it did become a symbol, a rallying cry for terrorist groups overseas to recruit at how uh, the treatment of Muslims by American forces. And it just, you know, those orange jumpsuits, there's a reason that in Syria, when the, the kidnapped victims of ISIS were paraded before they were beheaded in orange jumpsuits, it became a symbol and a rallying cry. And we just want to eliminate that from from the recruiting tools that terrorist groups have overseas. Absolutely. And just one clarification. So the the people that you mentioned who should should never be released, they would then be transferred to a supermax prison here in the United States. That's the alternative, right? They, they would. But remember, under federal law, you, you still have to try them to move them to a supermax. So they they you, they have to look. The lawyers would be looking right now The the Defense Department lawyers and the federal lawyers would be looking. The prosecutors would be looking at you know, will this case stand up in a U.S. federal court? Do mm. they do they have enough evidence? Will it be thrown out because the the individual was allegedly tortured? Um, and that those are the considerations being made right now. There's no movement afoot uh, at the Pentagon or or at the White House to release uh, individuals like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. But the question is how to legally. Uh, move them to a place where they can't cause any harm, but at the same time, close Guantanamo Bay. If if their case is thrown out here in the U.S., do they then stay at Guantanamo Bay? Well, at that point, they, if they've been moved from Guantanamo Bay, I don't believe they would be able to... Mm. Um, to, that would be sort of double legal jeopardy. Uh, but again, this is very complicated because you're caught right now between the U.S. military legal system. And if you move it into a U.S. federal court, there are different laws, different rules that apply. So it is it is extremely um, complicated. And that's why it has taken so long to resolve. Well, you took a very complicated subject and made it easier for us to understand. So that is why Jennifer Griffin is the best national security correspondent in all of media. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Abby. All right. If you miss anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways from my conversation with Jennifer Griffin on Gitmo. Number one, Guantanamo Bay was first leased to the U.S. Navy in 1903 as a strategic outpost. And in 2002, a detention camp was established under the Bush administration after 9-11. Each president has handled the detention center a little bit differently. President Obama vowed to close the camp, which ended up not happening because in 2011, Congress banned any transfer of detainees to the continental U.S. President Trump, on the other hand, signed an executive order to keep it open indefinitely and only released one detainee during his time in the White House. Now, President Biden has been quietly trying to whittle down the rest of the detainees left at Gitmo. Number two. Jennifer says this is an extremely complicated issue. Part of it has to do with money. It costs about $13 million per prisoner to keep them there. And another part is it's a bit of a symbolic issue 20 years after 9-11 and a rallying cry for terrorists overseas. Plus, we have to remember the age of some of these prisoners. But there's also a fear of what would happen if some of these detainees were brought to the continental U.S. to be tried. That brings me to number three. Jennifer points out that the U.S. military system and the federal government have different rules. There's a chance that if the detainees are brought here to go through a trial, the case could be thrown out if the individual was tortured, if there was a lack of evidence, things like that. 
Thanks so much for joining me during this lesson on Gitmo. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.